This is a Diet of Brussels. What's the relationship between the EU and Norway? Um, I ask this question because one of the uh, suggested alternatives for the UK in this uh, referendum debate is that we, we take the Norwegian option, that we, we model our relationship on their basis. So it's worth just exploring this a bit, and I'll talk about the Swiss option in uh, the next podcast. Uh, Norway uh, negotiated uh, entry into the European Economic Community back in the early 70s alongside the UK, Ireland, Denmark. But um, uniquely amongst uh, European countries, voted against uh, actually joining in a uh, referendum back in 74. And again, reaffirmed that back in the uh, 1990s at a point where the Cold War was coming to an end. Instead, what Norway has done has been to stay within the European Free Trade Association with a number of other countries uh, littered around Western uh, Europe. And uh, instead of membership, it pursued uh, a deepening of the relationship between EFTA and the EU in the form of the European Economic Area which came into force in 1994, so about 11 years ago. Now, the basic idea of the EEA is to extend the single market of the EU into those other countries. So that's, uh, in this case, it's Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway. The Swiss, who are EFTA members, didn't join it, and we'll talk about that at another point. So basically we're saying uh, the freedom of movement of people, of goods, of services, of capital uh, that you get within the EU, you also get to those three countries. The difference is that uh, you don't have the application of agricultural or fisheries policy. Uh, You don't have uh, all the other things that go alongside it in terms of foreign policy or justice and home affairs, those kinds of things. So for Those uh, three EFTA states, including Norway, means they get access to European markets. Um, They don't get access to EU funding, uh, be that through agriculture, obviously, but also through regional development. Um, The challenge and the the critique of that position is that uh, it also comes with a, a requirement, in effect, that those three countries basically have to accept what they are given. So there's a phrase which is often used, uh, particularly in Norway, of fax democracy, that they just sit around the metaphorical fax machine uh, waiting for the uh, latest decision to come from the European institutions. And that's because whilst they are part of that single market, they don't have a, a vote in the institutions, they don't have MEPs, they don't sit in the council. Um, at most they can uh, communicate their interests and their desires to uh, uh, the EU, uh, not least through a a joint committee that meets uh, twice a year. But there's very limited uh, kind of uh, involvement. And in addition, uh, the EEA states contribute to the budget of the EU. So uh, that's somewhere in the region of about 280 million euros uh, a year, that's from a couple of years ago. So it's not insignificant amounts of money. 
And that money is uh, used to help support development projects, particularly in uh, Central and Eastern Europe, but also in Southern Europe as well. So it goes towards regional development to reduce the uh, levels of, uh, the difference in level of economic uh, development. So the Norwegian option then nominally protects uh, Norway from the uh, requirements of membership in the broad sense that it's not a part of the EU. It gives it access to European markets, but it does so at a price where there really is very limited influence. And uh, Norwegians are well aware of this, that uh, uh, for many Norwegian politicians, they might wish to uh, be part of the EU, but their population has been uh, clear in not wanting to pursue that option. Um, and so, you know, the ability to actually influence and shape what goes on is very limited indeed. So when we think a bit about that, that Norwegian option, I think we need to remember the, the costs and the benefits that are One's nominal position is not necessarily the same as one's substantive position.